0: Well, we're uh, we're very pleased that all of you are here, and welcome to the third installment this season of our discussion on Striking Out the Stigma. This is a, a cooperative project uh, between the Phillies and a wonderful organization uh, called Minding Your Mind. Uh, they work with uh, youth groups. They have speakers that have overcome uh, mental health challenges in their lives, some of them very serious mental health challenges and now they go out into the community and they speak many times at high schools and share what they've learned about the challenges of mental health. So we really have uh, three goals in this series on uh, striking out the stigma. The first is the value of healthy life habits, which can kind of go to a lot of areas, but certainly in the areas of mental health. Supporting those around us, which we will get into I think in depth during this discussion, and removing the negative connotations surrounding the challenges of mental health. And that's mostly right on target of what we're gonna try to talk about tonight, is the stigma of mental health challenges. As we look ahead to our Independence Day, July 4th, uh, we have correctly, I think, identified tonight's topic as the mental health challenges of our veterans. Our veterans who have worn our country's uniform are so important to us they played a very, very important role as they were defending our freedoms, and right now we owe them as much in return as they return to civilian life. We welcome the safe space here, and as, as I mentioned to some people who were here early when we first, uh, first arrived, when Dr. James and I arrived. This is a safe space. We encourage you to uh, come up with a, a question if something uh, you hear. Uh, you're interested in hearing more about, so please let us know. Uh, raise your hand and we will get a Phillies representative over to you, to you quickly. Some of you have submitted questions already and we thank you, thank you for that. Uh, we are recording this program. There is a camera back there. And we do this uh, for one main reason. We can only fit so many people. Uh, and again, once everybody gets in here, you'll see we are sold out again tonight. Uh, but we wanna make sure that other families can watch this. And uh, this uh, session will appear on uh, Philly's <coughs> social media, uh, either on phillies.com uh, or a podcast or, or both. So let's get on to, uh, to meeting our very distinguished uh, panel. Uh, Dr. George James is uh, over here uh, right in front of me. And uh, he was a panelist uh, in, in the past uh, for Striking Out the Stigma. And now we're so pleased that uh, Dr. George as we lovingly refer to him, has become a co-host, and he will be uh, asking some of the questions as well and is certainly uh, able to uh, answer your questions as well. Dr. James, share with us your background, if you will, before we introduce our other
1: distinguished panelists. Uh, You know, Scott, it's always a pleasure to be here. Scott is, as they say, a pro's pro. It's an honor to work uh, alongside you here. Uh, As Scott mentioned, my name is Dr. George James. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, been doing work in the mental health field for over 20 years, helping individuals, couples, families. And really, my passion is really intersecting not only mental health, but in other areas, leadership, business, sports, entertainment. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm here to be able to talk about how does mental health and sports intersect? And I have a good time with my good friend, Scott here.
0: We always enjoy ourselves, that's one of the requirements that we have, we hope you do as well as we all learn something. Our first uh, panelist is a member of our Phillies family, uh, Christine Robichaux, she is the uh, Phillies Technology Service Manager. And she also brings with her a, uh, a, a, a great uh, title for this, for this uh, seminar, uh, she is a military veteran uh, not just a military veteran, not just an army veteran, but a paratrooper. Okay, so she's, as they say, bad. And then there's a second word that goes with that. She's, she's tough. Uh, you don't want to get on her bad side, right? No, I don't. I don't. I don't want to have her jump on me. I guess would I could say. Christine, tell us about both of those roles here with the Phillies and also your role in the military.
2: Thanks for coming, everybody. Um, like Scott said, my name is Christine Robichaux. I uh, joined Active Duty Army for six years right after high school, and I did mostly IT in the Army. Uh, Like Scott said, I was also airborne as well. Um, And after getting out of the military, I decided to move back home, Uh, went to Drexel, graduated with a business in sport management, and now work with the Phillies in IT. I started here part-time and just kind of worked my way in. And uh, now I kind of help oversee event operations from the technology standpoint as well as just day-to-day operations. So it's great to have everybody here. And what Scott won't tell you is that he's also a veteran. Um, So it's great to have him as part of our co-host. Thank you,
0: Christine. (laughs) Our next panelist uh, is a member of the West Point community. If you have really good eyesight, you can see he's got Army West Point there on on his uh, jacket. Uh, he's based between West Point and the Pentagon, if you can believe that. Gary Albaugh is his name. And Gary, tell us about your role at West Point. Is this on? All yep. right, good.
3: Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Gary Alba. I'm the deputy chief information officer and in G6, which is a fancy military name for IT geek or <laughs> head of the IT geeks. Um, I also lead the efforts for all federal higher education within the Department of the Army. Uh, I'm an eight-year Army veteran, and I uh, appreciate you having me here today.
0: Oh, it's great to have you here, thank you, Gary. And the gentleman uh, to my left is a retired uh, Marine Sergeant Major, and that really is bad, you-know-what follows on that. Uh, <laughs> oh, we have a Marine here? Oh, great, okay, very good. You guys have a good following. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to, uh, to talk to uh, Marty, uh, Kenny, Uh, about the weekly fight which you
4: are involved in uh, now that that you are out of the service. Tell us about the weekly fight. So the weekly fight, I started when, um, after I retired, it was really the um, brainchild of frustration. I had a Marine in December of 2015 that committed suicide, left three kids behind, and uh, I wanted to do something. I didn't know what it was, and I know picking up a kettlebell and beating my body up was helped me a great deal with a lot of my trials and tribulations. Then it started to become this thing where we're going to raise money for the kids that he left behind. Then I, we started going, okay, well maybe we can impact this. So what we do is we dedicate each workout to a veteran that's making a difference in the community. The workouts are always partner-based or team-based, create, create camaraderie and great that, that I call it the boot camp philosophy shared pain brings people together. Uh, it, it's nice. that simple. Um, and, you know, you know, in that sweat, you know, people are. People are kind of letting their guard down. I guess is the best way to put it, mm-hmm. and it, it opens up for some conversations. And we don't have theological conversations about feelings. You know, that F word doesn't really come a lot yeah. into the into our conversation, and uh, it's it's more about having a place to land where you know that people have like mind like you do.
0: Marty, thanks for being here. Christine and Gary, you as well. We look forward to a great discussion tonight. And uh, our co-host has the first question. Go ahead, Dr. James.
1: Thanks, Scott. Uh, this question actually goes to, uh, to Marty. But uh, before, I just want to say you know, thank you all for your service. Um, thank you all for uh, the ways that you you bring that forward. And I think about like the folks I know in my own family and people I'm connected to and all of you who are out here. So we thank you all uh, for those who have served or families who have served. We really appreciate you and your presence here. Uh, Marty, uh, in the work that you do, and the ways that you connect with others, one of the questions that came up was really focused around trauma and the, the experience that people have trying to overcome or deal with trauma. What advice would you give for people who have experienced some past trauma?
4: Um, it's a very general statement. and. Um, In a general statement, I'd I'd have to say I have no advice um, because it doesn't work. (laughs) One thing doesn't work for everybody. Um, Post-traumatic stress is personal, very personal. And I think that, you know, education is is really key because we talk about trauma and we talk about post-traumatic distress order. You know, it's just, we put this label on it where I don't want to have it, and so, it, and we don't realize that trauma is actually there to protect us. You know, the trauma that we experience, the the, the that comes after that incident, is our wonderful mind's way of protecting us. Uh, and, and if we don't understand that, we think that things are wrong with us, mm-hmm. and um, that's where you run into difficulties, when you don't understand that that anxiety that you have is actually all that adrenaline that's pumping into your body to give you that fight-or-flight response to whatever that traumatic incident that you had, uh, and so I, I don't think there's one answer. I think that what What I always say to people because unfortunately, you know, this is a life or death situation, it's there's no other way to put it, and I take it very seriously because I don't go a month without either losing somebody or knowing somebody that's very close to me that that loses somebody. And, um, it's you've got to educate yourself because you're not broken, you're not your body's doing what it's supposed to do.
0: That's very, very good answer. You Mm -hmm. said you didn't really have the answer, I think Mm -hmm. you enlightened us. A lot uh, on, with what you said, so we we appreciate it, Christine. We we correctly use the word bravery when we speak about our military heroes, our men and women in uniform. But but being uh, brave doesn't stop when you are discharged. Uh, how how can we best? How can our military veterans best continue to be brave when they leave and? seek help when they know they need
2: it? I think it's a great question, Scott. I think a lot, of, a lot of people in the military, veterans in general, struggle with opening up about anything that can be emotional because you're kind of taught that it's weak to be emotional or it may be weak to have mental health disorders or weak to be having going through a hard time and everybody in the military wants to betray that they're tough. So I think we just need to one, be actively speaking about it with each other um, and, and make it not a stigma, like strike out the stigma. We have to make sure that we're making it very comfortable for everybody to be op- able to talk about mental health issues. I think sometimes you may not want to go see a doctor or go open up to your mom about something or lean on a friend but i think especially in the veteran community just one person that may have an idea of what you're going through because to marty's point we we all have a different thing that we've been through and we relate to each other in such a different way so it just takes that one battle buddy of yours to be able to open up to them and as long as we're openly talking about this it may not it may take a while it may take a few weeks it may take a few months to get you comfortable enough to, to speak up but the more that we try and the more that we share it and the more that we talk about it amongst each other, we can help everybody to be brave enough to speak up about it.
0: And there is a dichotomy there, isn't there? Because we need to be tough. We need to be brave when we're defending our country. We also need to be brave when we're asking for help. Or bottom line?
2: Exactly, yeah. I think a lot of people look at mental issues as weakness when in reality, being brave is facing them and, and facing them head on is, is the bravest thing that you can do.
0: Well said, Christine. Dr. James.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, Christine. It's one of the things I often encourage people that vulnerability is actually an act of bravery. So I really appreciate you saying that. Questions for you, Gary. Um, you know, I, I work with athletes and CEOs and folks who may retire or change uh, careers. And sometimes when they do that, it's hard. It's hard to make that adjustment. And we know the same thing happens for uh, folks in the military after the time of service, readjusting and reestablishing themselves in the world can be challenging. One, what's your advice to folks who are trying to get readjusted? And two, how can they also talk about their mental wellness and their mental wellness needs after reestablishing themselves?
3: So there's a lot of services that are available that hadn't been there before that are available to our our service members. Um, I sat down with my family and friends and kind of looked at it, again, from a military standpoint operational security, if you see something, say something, right? So I told my family, if you see something, say something to me. And it was, dad, you got a short fuse that you didn't have before, or, or dad, like we're having a happy event and you don't seem very happy, right? So it was little key notes like that, that I said, okay, maybe it's time to go to the VA and, and talk to somebody, which took a lot, you know, as we've been saying, it takes a lot to make that first, you know, okay. You know, I'm not it's not wrong doing this. Uh as well as uh you know I, I had not met any of the panel here before, but I walked in the room and less than one percent of the US population are, are veterans, right? So this brotherhood and sisterhood, we could talk to each other because we all know what each other has gone through. So it's that importance of having somebody to talk to. And when I went to the VA initially was was having some issues talking to a professional, but then the person I had talked with said, why don't you go to group discussion? And it was a bunch of men and women in the group with me. And it was like, oh, I'm, I'm not different. Like there's a lot of other people dealing with these problems too. And everybody's problems were different, but you at least could see it was something we were gonna go through together. Um, and, and the last thing I would say, it, it, even though if you make some of these connections, in this brotherhood they won't go away so um i'm not a very religious person uh i'm not christian but i know if i go to father matt at west point he can help me get through anything so while you're in the military uh your chaplain's corps is a great place just to have a safe space to talk about anything so uh that may be with your Religion that you're a part of, you know, go see your pastor or your priest or something and and have a conversation with them. And they usually have resources as well.
1: Yeah, I love the the part of not kind of giving up. Sometimes we'll try something and it, it doesn't fit and we'll give up like the one on one at the VA. But then the group work or, you know, talking to the chaplain or someone else, find other ways that really work for you. So I like that. Marty, you
0: referred to the people that you've lost, the veterans you have lost. Uh, And and we sometimes hear hear the statistics of veterans who have taken their lives. And sometimes it kind of goes over our head because we may not have a friend who's a veteran or know a veteran who has uh, things so bad that they take their own life. Give us the numbers, if you would. Uh, And Christine's gonna give you a microphone there.
4: So actually, the the, the, the annual 2020 just came out from the VA. And um, I think the, stati- the statistics now um, are, a veteran is 57% more likely to commit suicide than a non-veteran. Um, you know, if you, the Vietnam War, we lost somewhere in the neighborhood of 55,000, um, Iraq, Afghanistan, we lost 45, 4,600. We have lost well over 101,000 to suicide in post-9-11. Um, you know, before this game is over, we will lose at least two to three veterans to suicide.
0: The number is just staggering. It's even hard to comprehend, but, mm-hmm. but thank you for sharing. Christine, we have another question to ask you.
5: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Uh, you have a management position here with the Phillies and you're excellent at your job. And I called upon your services being a man of advanced age, I guess, of, of not being in the, uh, in the computer world from the, from the jump. So I've needed your services a lot. What advice would you give to other female veterans, though, who are transitioning from active duty uh, to the civilian working world?
2: It's a great question, Scott. I think the biggest thing that I would tell anybody, female, veteran or not, I mean, I've done some work with college students as well, like do not let anybody tell you that you can't do something. Um, I had a dream when I was probably 12 or 13 years old to work in Philadelphia sports. I didn't take the path that everybody told me to. I didn't do the things that people said would get you there, but I worked as hard as I could and I found my own way so my, my advice really to anybody um, is to just follow your dream and don't let anybody to tell you anything otherwise. Specifically for a female veteran, I mean, you're you're, you're such an asset to any organization with being different. So you're, one, you're a female, which just brings a different perspective, especially like in my field, it's very male dominated um, in technology. And then two, being a veteran, you have more experience in different angles that you've seen that other people haven't done or experienced before. So definitely leverage anything that you can from your experience because you are different and you, are, you do have something to prove and you, know, you can do it.
0: Does anyone have a question at this point? We wanna make sure that we give you, there's a, a, a gentleman there with, uh, we'll take Dr. George's microphone and get it to him. Yes, sir, would you please tell us who you are and your question.
6: Uh, Don Robertson, live in the local area and um, uh, Navy P3 pilot once upon a time,
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool.
6: Thank you. Um, my question is, uh, I guess mostly for the sergeant major, but anybody, um, we uh, go through training. You're getting harder and harder and go get them, go get them. And then um, then you go out and hit the fleet or, or what have you, and the normal job takes over. Um, and uh, But there's still stress. It, the nature of the job is stress, permanent change of station and deployments, training detachments, et cetera. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, that there's stress no matter where you are in the military. What is the um, comparison between those people who've been, you know, in uh, major engagements, et cetera, or just your average uh, soldier, sailor, airman, marine uh, with the um, as, it, as it applies to suicide rates today? Is it equal across the board?
4: <laughs> it's really hard to say. I mean, because now you're going into a, a lot of demographics uh, of the individual service um you know it's as as wars go on you know during world war 1 you know shell shock was a big issue and um the the big thing with shell shock was not actually the bombardment but the tra- the brain trauma that was caused by the concussion of the blast um they actually had to build um you know the use A lot more facilities after World War I to house a lot of the veterans, but anyway, they they found that even those people that were not on the front line, but back within range to get hit, were as effective with other symptoms related to post-traumatic stress to just as much as the guys that were getting shelled. Because it's not only the, you know, the, the shelling, it's the fear uh, that you go through. You, know, you can't go into a combat situation in a combat environment and come out the same way. You can't. There's just no way you're going to go into a situation where you're in fear for your life every single day, where everybody you look at is a threat. You can't come back to walking the streets of Philadelphia and not look at people differently. It, it just, you don't. And that's where you start to get Questioning and, and that transition, I th- you know, that, that Christine talked about is so important. You know? I mean, I know guys that that, you know, they they're out on patrol Thursday. They're in a plane Friday night and they're home Sunday with their family. You know,
0: There's no transition time. No,
4: no. And a lot of them are like that, you know, and and it's all a matter of the time. And I remember in OIF, uh, the first one, 03, they started to try to do, you know, like a a decompression time, they called it. Um, And, uh, you know, when you get a bunch of Marines or anybody standing around, you know, and not really any direction, you're just supposed to decompress. They're all at the bar. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Um, so it's 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 really hard to, to answer your question, but I think it's, you know, again, post-traumatic stress is, is personal. You know, you, what you go through and the way you see things is what, what, you know, that fear that it creates inside of you is what's going to be ingrained, which later when those smells, sights, sounds reoccur, you know, you, you start to wonder what's going on. Um, and the example I like to use a lot is, is a car accident. Um, you know, if you're si- after a car accident, you're sitting on the on on curb and somebody comes up to you, puts their hand on your right shoulder and says, hey dude, are you okay? And a fireman comes up to you says, hey dude, are you okay? Then the, then the next person who comes up to you does the same thing, touches you on the right shoulder. Fast forward three or four years, somebody comes to touch you on the right hand shoulder, all of a sudden you're anxious you're, you're, and you don't know why. And you start to think you're crazy.
0: Thank you for explaining that, that gives, new, uh, gives gives new you a new understanding of, of PTSD. Dr. James, you have the next question.
1: You know, I appreciate Marty, you sharing that. And, you know, part of what you're highlighting is hypervigilance, right? That we can get to that place of feeling that. And that, you know, we don't have enough time to get into this, but uh, you can experience trauma, but not have PTSD, right? But if you have PTSD, you have, definitely experienced some trauma, right? And so hypervigilance being one of those. So this next question is, you know, part of the work is like what we do with our own minds and what do we tell ourselves and how we stay positive, but that could be really challenging, especially after, you know, experiencing difficult things or combat, as you mentioned, what are some of the ways or suggestions for us to deal with our minds and to, to stay positive even uh, when we're fighting all those negative things that we've experienced?
4: Um. I, th- I think one of the things that's real important is to. Um, I think everybody's got to understand the veteran community, and it's really hard to do that. But one of the things that I highly recommend everybody does is go out and get a book called um, Tribes by S- um, Sebastian Younger, and um, he is a in, he was a embedded reporter OIF Afghanistan did a lot of great things. I'm sorry OAF. Oh, um, Iraqi Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom and uh, Enduring Freedom, excuse me. Um, Anyway, so he talks about the 1%. It's always been 1% through our history. Warriors have always been 1% of the community. But through history, warriors used to be revered. They used to be celebrated. They used to be welcomed back in open arms. Um, And they used to be cared for in the community because, you know, they were the ones that went on, off to die if they needed protection in the community. And we don't have that anymore. Um, you know, I think, you know, prior to us pulling out of Afghanistan, if you would have asked anybody if we were still in war, they, nobody would have really thought to we were in a war. Um, you know, World War II was really the last war that affected everybody because you had, you know, Victory Gardens, you had rubber rations. So everybody felt the brunt of it. But now when there's a war, the average civilian doesn't feel the brunt of it.
0: And with the all-volunteer army.
4: Correct, correct. You know, so, you know, places, you know, times where, you know, you do a tour in Vietnam, you know, I, I mean, I did three tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. You know, you just multiple tours, multiple tours. I mean, I know a guy that in an 11-year a span was deployed 10 times.
0: Wow. Lovely. Just just set the record straight, I, I, I served during Vietnam, <laughs> I am what's called a Vietnam era veteran. I was fortunate never to go in country. I was stationed state stateside for my, my tour of duty. Uh, Gary, building off the last question, this more about more about relationships, and here's the question that was submitted. I'll just read it. Uh, how best uh, can I best support a military friend who's transitioning back into civilian life? What can you do?
3: Some of the same things, um, uh, again, w- when I joined the service, from the time that I left the service, there was a little bit more recognition of some of the problems that were that were present. Uh, so there are a lot more services available. There's there's offices where there's professionals to speak with. Um, that's confidential that you could go in and and talk with uh, to to figure out what the best path is for you. Because as you said, not everybody's path is the same. Not everybody's treatment is the same. Um, and and those, those services are available to you for the rest of your life. Um, PTSD is not something that's really curable and goes away. It's just something that you find a way to live your life with so that it doesn't become too much of a hindrance to your daily life. For some people, it does. Uh, for others, you're able to find ways to uh, to be able, you know, just live your regular life. You know, that, that's one of the first things when, when I went in for treatment is um, they said, you know, are you getting to work on time? Uh, are you able to leave the house? You know, there's different levels of of uh, PTSD out there, uh, and and some you really need a professional to help you along. And and um, I think the communication uh, with your your family and peers. A lot of things I did keep uh, bottled up for many years, um, but as you're transitioning out and you uh, you get to a comfort level, it's it, it felt uh, you know I, I had a beer with some of my buddies. None of them had served. They they always give me a call on Veterans Day, and um, I said, hey, I just want to tell you about a guy that I serve with that is no longer with us, and it just be able to open up and talk to other people so that they understood a little bit about what I go through on a daily basis, seeing somebody's face or a memory um, that you have, to, you have to deal with for the rest of your life. So I think it's the communication aspect, it's, it's knowing what you're going through, talking with your peers, talking with your family, and then getting the help that fits you
0: the best. Oh, that's so enlightening, thank you. Dr. James, right. or Dr. George, I go back and forth. <laughs> I'm gonna go off script here, yeah. because I mentioned that I was a Vietnam era, veteran and there are times not many especially as, as I get older but there are times when I have a bit of survivor's guilt about as as you mentioned Marty 50 thousand of my brothers and sisters who grew up around the time I grew up did not make it back uh, I was my duty station was Jacksonville Florida for the entire time of my active duty and reserve I was in Charleston South Carolina what I mean I, I know it's not as important as as other things, but I I would think that maybe somebody would be in that category as well. What would I do?
1: First, in terms of, um, I think a lot of people have survivor's guilt, survivor's remorse. Um, And you know, Scott, when you mentioned that, I I think about folks like yourself who served, but maybe didn't have active duty or didn't have, uh, go on tour or wasn't as many tours. Like there's so many ways we can compare ourselves to other people and then we start to feel like we're not good enough uh, i also just think about you know as gary as you were sharing just uh you know even in our city we we talk a lot about gun violence and lots of folks who unfortunately have passed and there's survivor's guilt there right like, like it didn't happen to me or the thought that someone i know passed and so I think it's always important to know that you don't have to compare yourself, but also to get the help and support that you need because I don't see it as a one is better than the other. We all need help and support. We've talked about that many times, and thank you for reemphasizing it. And I will give the next question to you, sir. Well, uh, actually, I I, I was gonna ask Marty the question, but I wanna wanna hear from Christine. Um, I'm curious about, uh, one, if you have a role model that has encouraged you to talk up about mental health or, or, or especially with all the things you've had to experience, you said that you didn't have a direct path, but you weren't also uh, reluctant to go after your your goals. Was there anyone who inspired you along the way to to speak up the way you do now?
2: Yeah, I think one of my role models for mental health is, is my mom who's actually here tonight. Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> Um, so my, my dad passed away when I was 12 or 13. So he was probably the role model of like, just never giving up and just such a good influence on me. And then as far as speaking up on mental health, like my mom has struggled sometimes throughout my life with mental health. Um, but she's always willing to share and has always been open and has always been a great example of somebody that it didn't matter what people were going to think, or she didn't mind trying to show weakness in front of me because I had to be there for her and she would be there for me. Um, so I think, yeah, just having somebody that was so open about that. And then obviously my father was a great influence just to keep going. So That's
1: great.
0: I love that. Next question, please, for Gary and Marty, both of you. Uh, have you ever sought the advice of a friend or colleague when struggling with your mental health? You kind of alluded to it a little bit, Gary. What, what worked for you uh, in that regard? So um,
3: West Point is home to about 70% military faculty and about 30% civilian factor faculty. Uh, Most of the military personnel there are uh, lieutenant colonels or colonels with very smart individuals, PhDs. Uh, This is something they usually do after uh, doing a, a lot of service, doing, you know, they were in combat arms or combat support and and now are are, are training our troops uh,
0: at the academy. Maybe twenty or thirty years in the military and yes, then they go on yes. to this so, job.
3: So each one of those uh, those supervisors I've had, whether it be the superintendent uh, or one of my um, one of my supervisors, uh, Colonel Edward Tay, Colonel Ron Dodge, they we garner a relationship together where I have that open door policy and can walk in and not only talk with him on a on an operational uh perspective of business but also like hey need to talk to you just like i'm having a a hard day today and and having that that friendship and uh camaraderie between service members has been helpful to me um and and each one of my officers that i've worked with has had that open door policy and i try and keep that same thing with my my younger officers the cadets and civilians with me um sometimes people just have a bad day and and we're talking military health and PTSD sometimes you know you can lose a family member for you know uh, there's a lot of things going on with with cancer and loss for for different ailments but um, it can still come back to yeah, that right and, and sometimes you just need somebody to talk to uh and and normal faces you know are 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 good you see somebody that's comfortable that you can talk with so So that's been uh, very helpful in my career at West Point and and having a lot of uh, good uh, colleagues and friends that I can go in and just talk with anything about.
0: Marty, Gary is fortunate in regards to the fact that he has two offices, one at West Point and one at the Pentagon. So he is surrounded by military folks who can help him. How about yourself now that you've transitioned into c- civilian life? You do have the weekly fight, mm-hmm. but, but what's worked for you when
4: you needed to go to somebody for help? So I have a general that I answer, answered to, uh, which is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, I mean... F- and I can't I, and tell I just, my wife that, no. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've s- said this before, and, and it's a fact that, I, you know, if it wasn't for her, I would not be here. It's really that simple, and, and, and I say that casually, and it's not really casualty because obviously we know what I'm talking about. But you know, part of what we do with the weekly fight is is, is include the family um, because post traumatic stress is not a it's not an individual problem; it's a family problem. Um, you know, it, it's really um, for me if if I didn't have. Somebody supporting me the way that, that I have over these years. I mean, we'll be married 32 years in September, uh, so she's as much a Marine as I am. Um, so, I, you know, I have a great deal of respect for her. I, I I don't think I would have taken the steps. I definitely would have taken the steps to, to seek help, go to the VA, or do any of that stuff, you know, because I wouldn't have had a reason to. And I think when you have that family unit, whether it's mom, whether it's whatever it is that that gives you that reason to to go on, that's the best thing that that can be for you because it's you know it, again it's it, it's it's knowing that I have somebody that that's behind me and beside me all the time, and um, you know not everybody has that to the degree that I have and. You know, when you're going through these trials and tribulations, you know, divorce and everything else is so easy. It's so easy to throw up the bag and and say, you know, I quit, you know. Now, granted, I think my wife's a little bit mentally ill herself, but that's another story, um, you know, in a very good way. But, uh, you know, I just think that, um, you know, for me, I I just think the family union is critical. Okay. picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In seeking help and getting help, because if if you don't have a strong family unit, it, it's really tough to go through those things. Yeah. Christine, Marty is married to a civilian general. You happen to be
0: married to another veteran. When, when you go out as a couple, uh, I don't know exactly where I want to go with this question, but is it sometimes different for you as a married veteran couple being out with friends who haven't experienced the military?
2: I mean, definitely. I think we've both adjusted now for a while, so we're, we're kind of used to it. But, one, people always assume that he's the only veteran, and just because I'm a female that I'm not. Um, so that's one thing.
0: And you're more badass than he is anyway.
2: <laughs> but uh, no offense. I, I do think it's different, but I, I don't know that I could have made the transition without him because he made the transition as well, and he actually made the transition a few years before I did. Um, I did – six years active duty and three years in the reserves and he did four years active duty so i gotta put that out there real quick for you um but watching him go through it and like having somebody to lean on like that was a huge help for me um and just knowing that you know i could do it and i had somebody to be there for me who completely understood that entire transition for me and then it, it is difficult i mean we, we have our friends that we both know from the military but we have friends that he's from houston so we have, he has friends from houston that you know aren't military and don't really understand it and then I'm born and raised here and I have friends here that don't really understand it but having each other and then we've also kind of brought our communities together um, between veteran friends and all that so we've kind of just made it one big one big happy family but yeah if it wasn't for him I don't know if I would have been able to make that transition nearly as smoothly.
0: But just as important, you've made him a Phillies fan now. His his Astros are are, are behind him. He
2: correct. has a Phillies jersey and a and a Fanatic chain on right now. There so. you go. Thank
0: you. And, and, I, and I do have to mention that we sat very close to each other at the World Series when our ownership group uh, brought us down there. And as I said to this group before we came in here, uh, there was one Astros fan that was just piping up a little too much, so I was uh, writing some checks with my mouth that that my seventy-three-year-old body could not cash, and I had the I had the support of that, you know, that veteran right there behind me. So I, I, I still yeah, think I, I salute you. I don't know where I would have been, Dr.
1: George. Scott, I'm actually gonna um, do what you do. I'm gonna go off script a little bit. Sure. Uh, I think that you have shared so much about your transitions, and I think we talked a lot about our communities and so forth. And what would you say have helped you in your various transitions over the years?
0: Well, I think and again, uh, being very forthcoming, I think I was uh, very fortunate to a not serve in combat and and b the only time I really had had fear was during boot camp uh, when uh, my first class petty officer started you know, going down my throat, as, as most most everybody in boot camp knows. So my transition, uh, I was fortunate enough that when the military asked me to be an air traffic controller uh, before they gave me a direct commission to public affairs officer, uh, I think they and I recognized it at the same time that I was not the best person to control F4s, the Phantoms, going in at that time because uh, the Government thought that I could do it because I worked in front of a microphone at college, so you can certainly control aircraft, but I was able to then i think for the best the best interests of the military and certainly myself able to uh, accept a job as a clerk typist and coffee maker for the division so that 's the transition I think I made there, which was most healthy for my division but one, once i once I got out uh, i was I was very fortunate, I think but Again, because of those reasons, but I was looked at by some, not everybody, but some in the same way that the people who served during Vietnam were looked at uh, with disdain, honestly, and that hurt. I mean, when I went into the military, I I, I didn't go in as a volunteer. I I went in as a draftee, uh, but uh, I really appreciate my time in the service, and I understood when I got out how important it was and how important it is for people to serve. So I couldn't understand where the disdain was coming from. Um, maybe the way the media portrayed it at, at that time. It was, was partly it was me Lai Massacre and things like that, not to go into too much detail. But I, th- I think I, I understood, and, and it hurt. It honestly hurt. I haven't thought about it recently. It's been a long time since I served Dr. James. But yes, and, and so I was, I was one of the fortunate ones, to
1: be honest with you. Appreciate that, Scott. And how, you know, once again, the the 1%, like when you were involved in something, whether for a short period or a long period, you are part of it. And you can, you know, obviously answer and experience and recall some of those experiences. So thanks for sharing that. Well, Thank you. Uh,
0: We'd like to have have you folks participate with your questions at this point. We have a question in the back of the room uh, on my side here. We'll get one of our ball girls. And by the way, uh, our ball girls are, are not just uh, very efficient down the lines, uh, saving our fans from getting hit, but, but they also do a lot of work in our community. Uh, I don't know if everybody knows that, but they are uh, they're always there to, uh, to help out uh, with charitable interests. And they have a softball team as well that can beat a lot of the guys' softball teams out there. So we thank you as always. Yes, sir.
5: Yeah. Hi, um, my name is Will Westfall. I'm actually from Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, born and raised there. I'm a huge Phillies fan, grew up that way. So we came out here specifically for this today and then to enjoy a couple of games. And uh, my cousin is Christine sitting up there on the podium. I have a question for Dr. James. Sir, um, I've dealt with a lot of my friends. Um, I was in the infantry. We were overseas and, and all that. But I've dealt with several of my friends who said, hey, you know, I went to the VA, I talked to one doctor, it didn't go well, and that's it. I did what they told me to do. They told me to go talk to a doctor. I went and talked to a doctor. That's what I did. didn't work. You know, and I will tell you from my personal experience, I can't speak for every VA or every person out there, but in my personal experience, the very first doctor I talked to would not have worked for me. And that doctor recognized it, and that's that he said, hey, look, no problem. Go back, go back and talk to somebody else.
1: No, hello.
5: Oh, there it is. And when I go back and talk to somebody else and I got back in the queue and without going back in that queue, I would not be where I am today. I'll be honest with you. And I feel like there's very little about anything past. Go get go seek help. And if that one window that they take is missed, mm-hmm. I feel like that's where we lose some people.
1: Uh, I really appreciate you highlighting that, and that is very true, and that's not only for the, the VA, but just in general, when we talk about mental health and going to see a therapist or a psychiatrist, is that sometimes the first one doesn't work. And honestly, as, as my brothers and sisters, uh, some of us aren't always ready or equipped for that person that walks in, and you know, when, when you walk in, you think that that person should be able to serve your needs, and sometimes... They're not able, or it's just not a good fit, or it's just not a good personality match. And so I really appreciate that you went again and tried again. And that would be m- always my encouragement. Don't give up. Try. as Even as Gary shared, go to group, find somebody else, get a referral. And if that doesn't work, try again, because this is for you and your well-being and for those that you might care about. Thank you for coming all the way from
0: Columbus to follow the fight. Yes. appreciate it. Now, as we get ready to wrap things up, a question for the panel as a whole, uh, how can we as a community spread awareness of mental health and help our veterans and family members here tonight? Gary, we'll start with you, then we'll go on to George, Christine, and finish with Marty. So
3: um, there's a, a bunch of great events like this. Uh, so having people attend these, know about these, uh, having organizations like Major League Baseball and the Phillies uh, put, put these events on, it, it's great for the community. Uh, there's also Mental Health Awareness Month, which is May of uh, of each calendar year. So um, to to have that time to reflect on some of the resources and things and and uh, during during that month uh, helps out a lot. Um, I always uh, think that education is a is a good way. So. Uh, I have I have three children uh, all teenagers now but when they went through elementary school they all did dare right the drug abuse right. resistance education so something like that needs to develop with some uh, with mm-hmm. some funding uh, within the, the, either the public schools or the communities where we have some training at a younger age so people at least understand what mental health is and what people are going through uh, when they have mental health issues and then, um, the last thing that I would say is um, use a term of make the uncommon common, right? So if there's something that is unique, surround it with things that make it not feel so unique, right? So if somebody has a mental health issue, it's don't single that thing out. like. Give them the warm and fuzzy, give them the resources. Give them all the things that they need to make them feel like like they can continue on to uh, to become better with what they're dealing with with their mental health. Okay, very good. Christine.
2: Yeah, I think I would say the biggest thing is, I've kind of touched on it earlier, but we need to strike out the stigma. I mean, it sounds cliche because that's the title of the event, but that's the truth. I mean, we need to be more open. We need to talk about it more. We need to let everybody know that it is okay to talk about it. And I think a big part of for the veteran community specifically is reaching out to your friends. I mean, I just found out two days ago, I didn't serve directly with them, but somebody in a company adjacent to mine just committed suicide two days ago. And that's a, a very good leader that everybody looked up to. And everybody that we were talking about in the group was saying, I wish I just reached out. So sometimes that's all it takes. And sometimes it's just following up with your friends, following up with your fellow comrades, whoever it may be, um, to, to continue to talk about it and to continue to talk to each other, continue to talk to your family, continue to talk to your friends, go to events like this, like Gary said, like we need to make sure that we are making it not a stigma to, to be discussing mental health and we need to do everything we can to do so.
0: Amen, Barty.
4: Ditto. Um I it's 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 so hard to give advice. Uh, you know, going back to even the first question to answer, it's just the fact that we still call it a disorder. You know, like cancer doesn't; it's not cancer disorder. You know, I, I don't understand why it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, You'd rather have a term post-traumatic, post-traumatic stress. stress. Or disease. Yeah, it's post-traumatic stress. And that's I, that's the way I call it, that's the way I talk about it, because I just, to me, I don't want to think that I have a disorder. That's the first thing. Um, and I think when you're dealing, especially with veterans, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but we're very black and white. You know, it, you know I don't need a lot of fuzzy stuff. Um, I've dealt with therapists that want me to put my problems on leaves and watch them float down the river. And, you know, that doesn't work very well for me. And um,
1: it might not work for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I just. You I, reach Sergeant Major and that doesn't
4: work. It just, I don't know. Uh, so it's, it's, it's getting past this, 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 I don't think you need to be all warm and fuddlesly feeling type thing. Sometimes you have to be direct and in the face with somebody. Dude, you're screwing up. We need to do something. Look at what you're doing. Look at your life. You're drinking every day. This is what's going on. What can we do? You know, and and if, if you don't have that direct, that's what I needed. I mean, there's no way I would have listened to anybody that was. oh, come on, we should go to the doctor. You really doing things? Get away from me. Um, I think for me, I needed somebody that could get, get in my face because I'm very analytical. I need to understand why I'm like this. I need to understand that, and, and then the, then then I have to deal with why I can't fix it because I got to be able to fix it, you know. Um, but that's you know another story. I think that education is key. It, it, it is absolutely key. If you don't understand what trauma is, there is so much neurologi- neurology, neurology that mm-hmm. that word uh, that gets you. You know, it affects so much. You know, and our brain is this wonderful tool that is designed to protect us. And that's all trauma is trying to do is protect you. And, and we think something's wrong with us and we got to get out of that. There's nothing wrong with you. Very good. So what works for one person doesn't always no. work for another
0: and that's, that's so true. I, I I'd just like to thank our excellent panel, Dr. James, our co-host, Gary, Christine, Marty, um, and really thank them for being here. Uh, so uh, let's give them a round of applause. Always a pleasure, Scott. And, and also, uh, we all, I know, agree that we want to thank you and our partners at Minding Your Mind for being here. This is a serious topic. Uh, there's a ball game tonight. We can all enjoy ourselves now and we'll root for the Phillies. But uh, it, it takes a little something extra for you guys to come and show up for an event like that. So we certainly appreciate your attendance and um, we'll, we'll end as we always do here at events at uh, Citizens Bank Park with a hearty. Go Phils! All right, thank you everybody. Have a great night.